This is a reading of an illness observed through reluctant eyes, encouragement, ideas, and anecdotes for individuals facing a serious illness as a patient or caregiver, written by Lisa Pence. Introduction. In 2012, at age 48, my husband Randy became seriously ill with myelofibrosis and underwent a bone marrow slash stem cell transplant. Thrown into the middle of this illness we had never encountered before, I had no way of knowing what lie ahead. I searched for answers to questions I didn't even know to ask, how I would have appreciated a book with some suggestions for me as a caregiver and for my husband as a patient concerning the path that lay before us. I wanted a true assessment. What was about to happen? Would we be able to persevere? I needed insight. A book written from a similar experience was nowhere to be found. I attended caregiver workshops offered at the Bone Marrow Clinic, which was helpful, but I needed real-life first-hand accounts, warts and all. I read blogs, but nothing gave me the whole story of a serious illness. I wanted real scenarios with real outcomes and information to help along the way, not a pretty picture for my benefit. Since I couldn't find such a book, I decided to write one myself. If you're looking for real suggestions to real situations, this book is for you. Every illness has its own set of unique characteristics, symptoms, and outcomes, but none of us are alike. I know my experiences will not be exactly the same as yours, but my hope is that you can apply some of the suggestions and encouragement in this book to your situation. Whether you are about to become a caregiver or have been one for some time, whether you are a newly diagnosed patient or have been fighting the good fight for months, I hope this book will help prepare you and offer you some comfort to know you are not alone. My prayer is that you may approach this path a stronger person, confident in the way for your journey ahead. Chapter 1. Something's Wrong I didn't know what was wrong, but something in the pit of my stomach told me something was not right. The little changes were not enough to snap us into action. However, it took multiple physical and behavioral differences happening simultaneously to awaken us to the realization that everything was not as it should be. My 48-year-old husband, Randy, came into our house after work, walked up the stairs, and laid down our bed. I've known Randy since we were 14 years old. We were middle schoolers, and all throughout our years together, he always worked. In high school, he mowed lawns and cleared snow for several windows in our church and held down two part-time jobs while attending full-time college. He rarely had free time. The pace continued after we were married. Randy managed an independent Christian bookstore and an outdoor strip mall. He stood most days while helping customers. After work, he would pick up the kids from school and they'd head home. Most nights, he'd eat dinner, then rush into the garage and start his evening projects. He would mow grass for the elderly neighbors and fix broken items in our house in my parents' home next door, all while simultaneously keeping up with the maintenance of some rental properties we owned close to our house. There was always much to do, and he loved staying busy. So the night he came home from work and went straight to bed, I thought perhaps he was coming down with the flu. The following day, it suddenly dawned on me that there could be something seriously wrong with Randy. We had ignored the signs for nearly six months. Randy had lost 30 pounds, his fatigue was getting worse, and his skin color had turned pale. He'd battled thyroid problems for years, which included multiple goiters located on his neck. He'd undergone biopsies in these goiters, which all came back negative for cancer. This was always a concern for us, as several years earlier, Randy's father had been diagnosed with thyroid cancer and had his thyroids removed. 
After his surgery, Randy's dad had difficulty speaking without his voice cracking. Randy wanted no part of throat surgery until it was totally necessary, but we decided we would put it off no longer. I scheduled an appointment for Randy with his endocrinologist, after which the doctor scheduled him for surgery to remove his thyroid in the coming weeks. One Friday night, a week before Randy's surgery, we went to the hospital for his surgery prep, which included a complete blood workup. All of his blood work numbers were half the levels they should be. This alarmed the hospital staff, which in turn alarmed us. They rushed Randy immediately to the emergency room for a blood transfusion. The ER staff wanted to admit him after his transfusion, but he convinced them to let him see his primary care physician on Monday for her opinion first. He already had an appointment scheduled with her, and he trusted her diagnosis. The staff obliged Randy, but said he couldn't have his thyroid surgery until his illness had been diagnosed. The following Monday, Randy met with his primary care physician. She said she would try to schedule an office appointment for him with a hematologist that week. If she could not, she would admit him to the hospital and we would see a hematologist on call. Randy could see the concern and urgency in her eyes. He knew this could be a serious condition. After a few days of waiting, our primary care doctor called to tell us that she had been unable to locate a hematologist who had an open appointment to examine Randy. She'd scheduled him to be admitted to the hospital the following morning, where he could undergo a complete battery of tests, so a diagnosis could be made of his symptoms. When I look back at this time, I realize we were still oblivious to his situation. Neither of us became overly excited. We knew it couldn't be serious. He was too young and had been extremely healthy before. We were sure they were overreacting. He would check into the hospital. They would discover it was his thyroid, wrecking havoc for all, and would have him scheduled for the thyroid surgery. How often does a serious illness strike at a middle-aged, healthy person out of nowhere? Every now and then we would hear a tragic story about someone else, but it wouldn't happen to us. Randy was too healthy. We truly had no clue. After a few days in the hospital, many blood tests, x-rays, and even a bone marrow biopsy, no cancer could be found. We were thrilled. Exactly what we thought. It was an overreaction. The hematologist sent us home and told Randy that he had the bone marrow of an anorexic teenager. The doctor felt Randy needed to eat healthier, perhaps more nutritious food, and he would see us in two weeks to follow up on his progress. These were instructions we could easily follow to correct the situation. We believed every aspect of our lives would return to normal after a couple weeks of living a healthier lifestyle. Many times when you are new to major illness scene, you observe through reluctant eyes. You see what you want to see. I thought Randy was too young and healthy to get cancer, even though I knew children and teenagers were diagnosed with this disease all the time. The thought never occurred to me that there could be a possibility of his doctor being wrong. The diagnosis he made was the one we wanted to hear. When we arrived home from the hospital, I began a mission of healthy eating for the entire family. I believe Randy had a fairly healthy diet already, but there was areas of possible improvement. He could have eaten more greens, which can be said for most of us, but I was more than ready to try the hematologist solution. I made sure his diet consisted of lean meats, fresh fruits and vegetables, and whole grains for the next two weeks. No cheating was tolerated. He ate strictly healthy foods, a diet fit for an athlete with no soft drinks or sugary foods. After two weeks, we returned to the doctor who discovered after further blood work that Randy had experienced no improvement. The hematologist said it could take more time to see results. I looked Randy as he talked to the doctor. 
He was just as tired, just as pale, and getting weaker. It was time to try a different direction. We decided to call Duke University Hospital. Randy's mother had passed away several years earlier from renal cell carcinoma, otherwise known as kidney cancer. She had traveled to Durham, North Carolina to go to Duke Hospital for the cutting-edge treatment. Upon her diagnosis, she was given five years to live. But with the new treatments, who knows? She responded wonderfully. She eventually succumbed to her disease 10 years later, but not without a fight. She tried all the latest treatments and trials Duke recommended. Our entire family had been extremely impressed with her care while she was at Duke battling this horrific disease. Two weeks after we made the call to Duke, we drove to the hospital clinics in Durham where we had appointments scheduled. We were first sent to a hematologist oncology department due to Randy's current symptoms. The physician's assistant examined Randy and looked at the blood work Duke had done. She pressed her on his stomach area and could feel his spleen was enlarged. As she wrote something down on his paperwork, she appeared as though she knew the diagnosis. We asked if she could tell what was wrong, and she said we would discuss his case when the doctor came in. She clearly had an idea about the problem. I gave Randy a thumbs up. We were getting somewhere. The doctor stepped into the room a short time later and re-examined Randy. He told us he felt sure he had myelofibrosis, which was a new word with no definition for us. He explained it was pre-leukemia, which is why no cancer had shown up in Randy's bone marrow biopsy. To put it in terms we could understand, he explained it was a scarring of bone marrow. His marrow was so clogged with scar tissue he couldn't produce new blood. The doctor would order further blood work to confirm his diagnosis, but the only course of treatment with the cure was a bone marrow or stem cell transplant. He would schedule the next available appointment at Duke's Adult Bone Marrow Transplant Clinic and said he would call us as soon as he received confirmation from the blood work. Then the Adult Bone Marrow Transplant Clinic would take Randy's case through the next phase of his illness. We thanked the doctor for seeing us and told him how pleased we were to have a diagnosis. We expressed our happiness that there was a possible cure. I asked the PA how to spell myelofibrosis. As she spelled the word for me, the doctor told us not to look it up on the internet. There was too much incorrect information to be found there. As soon as we drove the four and a half hours back to Charleston, I immediately looked it up on the internet. Within the next few weeks, we were back at the Adult Bone Marrow Transplant Clinic for our initial appointment. They had the results of Randy's extensive blood work and found that he did indeed have myelofibrosis and would need a bone marrow slash stem cell transplant. We had many meetings with doctors, physicians assistants, social workers, and finance insurance advisors. It was explained to us Randy would be in the hospital approximately four weeks. He would then need to remain in Durham, North Carolina area for another three to four months so he could be in clinic every day to monitor his progress. Over the three to four months of clinic visits, the daily visits would become every other day, then every three days, etc., depending on his improvement. The doctors explained to us that this treatment schedule would be in place if Randy's response to the treatment was according to plan. We did not discuss the alternative. Randy and I decided we would leave his illness, the expenses, and our much-needed help in the Lord's hands. We would remain positive and battle this illness together with every ounce of our strength. We believed that we were in good hands with an experienced team at Duke. We drove home after the adult bone marrow transplant clinic appointment discussing our options. We were encouraged by the doctor's belief that the transplant would remedy his illness. Randy's only sibling, his brother Doug, told us that he would be happy to donate bone marrow if he was a match for Randy's markers. Doug said, I'll give you my right arm if you need it. We knew he meant it. 
Duke told us to bring Doug to the next appointment so that they could check his blood to see if he was a match. In bone marrow donation, the possibility of an acceptable match by a sibling was one in four. Unfortunately, Doug was not a match. We had hit a setback right out the gate, but we still could check for a match in the bone marrow bank. There were six million samples in storage at the time. Duke would compare Randy's blood work with the samples in the bank the following week to look for a perfect match. They would call us when they had found one. The phone rang the following week. Randy had two perfect matches and one that was willing to donate. We found out a year later the donor was a former Marine and current fireman who lived in California. Thank you, Lord, and thank you for Steve. Duke explained to us that Randy was 48 years old, in good health besides the disease, and had the right attitude. The doctors told us that he had an 80% chance of survival, but it would be a tough road. He would get high-dose chemotherapy when he was in the hospital, which would take his white blood cell count to zero. The hospital would continually monitor him for infection, and after the transplant, they would also watch for graft-versus-host disease, again, another medical term that we had never encountered. Graft-versus-host disease is a complication that can occur after the bone marrow stem cell transplant in which the new transplanted cells see the recipient's body as foreign to them. When this happens, the newly transplanted cells attack the recipient's body. Graft-versus-host disease can show itself in a mild form, such as a skin rash, to a severe case which can damage body organs and anywhere in between. I listened to the professionals explain the many medical terms of this condition. Most of these terms I was unfamiliar with, so I decided we would worry about the graft-versus-host disease if and when it happened. I immediately dismissed them in my mind. We would worry about complications as they occur. I decided I was not going to drive myself crazy over what if. There was way too many what ifs with this disease. It was too much to process, and I encourage you to not let the enormity of your own situation overwhelm you. Prioritize what is important to you now and leave the rest for the Lord to sort out. Trust that he will only allow what you can handle. Duke gave us a notebook to answer many of our questions about the treatment. It was 111 pages long. I read it three times and was thankful for every page. Randy never opened the notebook and didn't want me to tell him any more generalities about the procedure. The notebook was invaluable to me. It described his disease, the stem cells, and gave reason to why transplant was needed. It explained how they identify a donor and how both the patient and the donor are evaluated. The most important part was towards the end of the notebook, which explained the patient's role in a successful transplant and how to prepare for it. Reading this notebook was a must for the patient, but Randy didn't want to read it. The thought of what those pages contained made Randy extremely uncomfortable. He didn't want to know about any painful procedures that could possibly come his way. He had spoken earlier to another caregiver of a bone marrow transplant. He asked her to describe what the patient went through. Hell, she replied. The patient ended up dying. I know this is why Randy didn't want to know the details. Before he began his transplant, Randy came to his senses and realized maybe he should know a little about the process. He asked me about the hospital stay, which occurred at the beginning of the transplant. His question opened the door for me to tell him bits and pieces of the positive details of which he had to look forward. Perhaps look forward is an overreach, but I wanted him to look at the transplant as a positive solution because there was a really good chance it would cure him. In my mind, every bit of information contained in that notebook was positive because it was a roadmap to a successful transplant. It did contain information on being a survivor, which describes possible suppressed emotions which th that could surface later, 
but this included anger, anxiety, or depression, as well as guilt and grief. I'm the type who wants to know all possible outcomes so I can watch for a negative downturn and call a doctor, whether it's physical or if it's emotional. I would now know after reading the notebook what to expect. I understand we are not all wired this way, and Randy is not. When you are the caregiver and not the patient, it is important to be sensitive to the differences between you and the patient. At this stage of the illness, it was about what was best for him, physically and emotionally, not what was best for me. Randy wanted to remain completely positive, so I just satisfied my desire to know every detail by reading the notebook to myself, but I only told him specific information when he asked. This is the way he wanted it. He would ask questions as he was ready, but I know when he asked the questions, he was looking for reassurance, not concerns. I had many questions that were not answered in the notebook. I couldn't even locate possible answers to my questions on the forbidden internet. I know this because I searched online. I found out every patient really is different. The doctors weren't just telling us this. Even still, it was not for lack of trying. I wanted to know the side effects of the high-dose chemo, what happens immediately before the patient receives the marrow transplant, and what does the marrow look like, and does it change your DNA or blood type? There were too many questions. I searched fervently, but I could not find one patient with the same symptoms as Randy. His illness was unique. When we saw the doctor or PA, if I had questions with possible negative answers, I never asked them in front of Randy. Nothing I wanted to know was worth upsetting him. If it was a question that I had no bearing on his outcome, I never asked it. Too many questions were worrisome for Randy. Duke made sure we knew all the imperative answers. Everything else I kept to myself or did my own research. A devastating illness can take a toll on everyone in the family. Randy's disease required both of us to be gone for an extended period of time. There would be medical bills, rent, food, and travel expenses. His illness was taking both of us out of the workforce for the time we'd be away. We were going to need some help. In the following chapter, there are some helpful tips and suggestions that kind individuals have recommended and some that I've developed on my own. I hope they help you as much as they did me. This is just chapter one. Chapter two is in the next video. But if this book is helping you and you would like to support us, please click the link in the description below to purchase a copy of this book from Amazon. Thanks for listening.